0: Harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with a spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he eluded Saul, so they struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, Tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed, and put a pillow of goat's hair as its head, and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair as its head. And Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go, so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go! Why should I kill you? Now well, David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and to- told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is, is at Naoth in Ramah, Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Siku, And he asked, Where, where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Nahoth and Ramah. And he went there to Nahoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Nahoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? Let's pray. Lord, you have have said to us that this book is of greater value than fine gold. You have said it's sweeter than honey. Father, I pray that you'd be gracious to us this morning and that you would allow us to taste that honey and that you would allow us to see the value and the worth of this word, and that we, we would see you speak to us this morning, by your Spirit, because of your incredible grace, and for your glory, we pray. Amen. 1 Samuel 19. You know, as I look at this text and try to figure out how do we unpack it, I think I'm just going to break it up into four scenes, okay? Almost like it's a story unfolding. It is a story unfolding. It's history unfolding. But uh, just to help us to deal with it, unpack it, and to navigate. Breaking it up into four scenes. And I'm going to give you those four scenes on the front end. First off, verses 1-7, through Jonathan displays his love for David and for God's kingdom. Secondly, David displays his love for Saul and God's kingdom. And then thirdly, starting in verse 11, Michael displays her love for David and herself. And I'll unpack that in a bit. And finally, we're going to see how the Spirit displays his strength and steadfast love for David and God's people. Okay? I'll repeat those as I go, but can I encourage you? Preaching is not just a one-way thing. It's not me just talking to you. The people of God are called to be engaged in the text as well. So as I'm preaching, I'm going to ask, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to encourage you to have your Bible. If you've got a Bible, open it up, look around. If you've got a pen, use it. Underline things, write notes, whatever. Be engaged in the text. Be engaged with what you're hearing. Because that's how God God works when, when we're both there's, there's the speaker and there's the recipient. and So this is really important. And and pray while we're, I'm going that there be a moment when you can put that pen down and go, ah, oh, you see God and you're overwhelmed by his presence. So it's not just me doing the talking, but it should be both of us involved in, in interacting. Does that make any sense? I, I, and, I, and I say that because I think it's important that you come here expecting to be fed expecting to see Jesus, to hear from him. Verses 1-7, through seven, Jonathan displays his love for David and God's kingdom. Now, the God's kingdom piece, I think we're going to see clearer in, in chapter 20 in a few weeks, okay? But you definitely see Jonathan displaying his love for David. And notice in verse 1, And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. Have you noticed the digression in Saul? Back in chapter 16, verse 21, we are told, And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly. So Saul loved David, and now he's out to kill him. it, It doesn't just like boom, boom. Remember in chapter um, 17, at the very end, he's asking Abner, his commander, he says, whose son is this youth? And at the front end, we're thinking, okay, well, he needs to know that so he knows who gets off the taxes because David had just killed Goliath and and that was a promise. But in chapter 18, verse 2, we're told that Saul takes David from his father. And so there's a selfish thing happening there. A few verses later, we see the people or the ladies praising both David and Saul, but David gets the most praise. And Saul responds, very angry, verse 8 of chapter 18, and displeased. In other words, he's jealous. And we're told in verse 9 of chapter 18 that Saul eyed David from that day on. You see the digression? He greatly loved him. Now he's jealous of him. He's eyeing him. And then we're told he throws a spear at him a couple of times to see if he can pin him to the wall. It doesn't speak of killing him, but pinning him. He eludes that. And then we're told how he, he's going to give him his oldest daughter, Marib, to so that he can, they can get married. But in, in the process, he's thinking... First, you need to go and deal with the Philistines and hoping that the Philistines will kill him. The problem was God had uh, Saul had already promised Merib to him back in chapter 17. He had taken out Goliath. He, he, Merib should have been his wife, but she wasn't. And then he gives out Lady to somebody else. And then we're told, now Saul's daughter Michael loved David. He goes, Ah, this is, this is the opportunity to allow the Philistines to kill him again. And, and yet, yet yet that doesn't happen. I told in verse 29 of chapter 18 that Saul was David's enemy continually, and now we're told he's actually going to his son, he's actually going to his servants and saying, Go and kill him. You see the digression? Be aware there's sin in your life if there's bitterness if there's anger that will take root and it will grow and it will destroy you it's important to see that because in, in light of that we see Jonathan's love for David and we need to know that Jonathan's love for David is costly Jonathan, in the last chapter, made a covenant with David. He made a promise. We're going to see the impact or the, the, the details of that promise in chapter 20, but we're seeing here how that covenant uh, uh, is displayed in his active love for David. He speaks to his father. Now, his father's out to kill David. His father's already shown he's willing to kill his son way back in what was it, chapter 14, his father's a bit of a loose cannon. His father is a king. Uh, for Dave, for Jonathan to approach his father could have had major implications. Love is costly, and Jonathan's love is costly. I, I think of the psalm, Psalms 15, verse 4, where it says "Who sw- the, the, the righteous or the blameless person is one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Are we people like that? jonathan's love is costly but jonathan's love is wise i I say that because look at verse five look at what jonathan says to saul let not the king sin against his servant david because he has not sinned against you and because his deeds have brought good to you for he took his life sorry verse five in his hand and he struck down the philistine he says remember he took out goliath Then what does he say? And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel, and you saw it and you rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? He's, he's, He's boldly speaking to his father and saying, Wake up! David has spared us. God was with him. He's done us good. He's done you good. What's interesting, I tell you, he's wise because if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 11, remember Samuel anoints Saul to be king and then Saul defeats the Ammonites. Remember that? And then the people are going, yeah, we should should make him king. But there had been some people who said, why should Saul reign over us? And remember what Saul said in 1 Samuel chapter 11? But Saul said in verse 13, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Exact same words that Jonathan uses. I think when Jonathan is telling Saul, his father, these words, his father's going, Oh yeah, I said that. My kids have done that to me. Oh yeah, I said that. Jonathan's love for David is costly. It's wise, but I want you to notice the source of that love. The source. I, I mentioned this last week. The source of that love is a deep faith in God and, his, and God's word. But why do I say that? Notice what what Saul said. Uh, Jonathan says to his father. He says. He said, um, verse five again. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. Jonathan understood that when David took out the Philistine, Goliath, Jonathan understood that that wasn't David's skill, that wasn't David's might, that wasn't David's ingenuity, that wasn't David's way of dealing with the, with the slingshot. That was God who did that. Now, I know that's how Jonathan speaks and thought, because think of look back to Jonathan chapter 14. Jonathan does something very similar in chapter 14. Remember, the Philistines are like the sand of the seashore, the army in front of them. Israelites have 600 men. They have very few weapons, actually two, as far as swords are concerned. And Jonathan says in chapter 14, verse 6, to the one carrying his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. He said, we can go, just you and me. If God wants to save us, he can use just the two of us. And so the two of them go. They take out 20. It causes this great panic. God intervenes. The Philistines are routed. There's no, no other explanation other than God worked. Jonathan understood when he saw what happened to Goliath that that was God's work. Now, on top of that, I think Jonathan, probably because he was the right-hand man of King Saul, would have been there when Samuel the prophet in chapter 15 comes to him. And what does Samuel the prophet say to Saul? Remember, he says in, in chapter 15, verse 28, And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Word would have gotten out to Jonathan. God had made it very clear that the kingdom would not be handed on to Jonathan, but would be handed on to a neighbor that was better than Saul. And when David shows up on the scene in chapter 17 and takes out Goliath because the Lord was with him, uh, Jonathan didn't have to be the brightest guy on the planet to figure out this is probably the guy. And in chapter 18, which we looked at last week, then it's Jonathan has loved David, we're told. His his, he, his soul was knit together, and Jonathan takes off his robe, his royal robe, takes off his armor, his 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 armor because he's the next in line gives him the sword and says David these actually belong to you because you are the king to be Jonathan very much understood who David would be and he very clearly understood that God was in charge and he put his trust and his faith in this God rather than getting bitter and angry and saying this ain't fair he said, God, you're in charge. The source of his love was his faith in God. The source of his love was his faith in what God had said, knowing that God knows better. Now, Thankfully, Saul relents of his anger, and he says, you know what? He swears by the name of the Lord, yeah, I won't kill him. Then verses 8 and 10 we see David displays his love for Saul and God's kingdom. And, and why do I say that? Look at verse 8. It's relented. David comes back, chapter 19. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. You know, in, in, in chapter 17, he takes out Goliath chapter 18 uh, boy I've got a list here it's, 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 it's quite long verse 5, 6, 13, 14, 27, 30 where he's going after the Philistines he's serving Saul who took him to fight the enemy of the people of God and he's faithfully doing that over and over and over again like his dear friend Jonathan said he is innocent innocent David is displaying his love for God's kingdom which is why he approached the Philistine and his love for Saul at least his allegiance But it's in that context it's in that context that we see Saul get angry again then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. What is that harmful spirit? We've already seen this a few times. Now that's odd. A harmful spirit. Some of your translations will say an evil spirit from the Lord. I think the, the translation harmful spirit is better. But when we need to understand that, that, that God has angels that come to minister to us, to care for us, to, to watch us and protect us. But he also has angels who come to judge in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel, Saul disobeys God, doesn't repent. And now he's reaping the consequences of his lack of repentance. But in light of that, this, this harmful spirit comes. It, it troubles his soul. He sits in the house with a spear in his hand. He's protected. He's okay. He's, there's, there's no reason to fear inside his home. And yet he's got his spear in his hand. He's a scaredy cat big time. And he's just fidgeting with a spear in his hand. David is playing the lyre to try to calm him down. It's like a harp. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he eluded Saul, so they struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. I, when I see David, I think of Jesus. It's like he's willing to do whatever Saul calls him to do, but even bigger than that, he's willing to do whatever God calls him to do. Not my will, but your will be done, is how Jesus prayed. Saul's murderous ways re- return can I, can I jump in here kind of just a side note Jonathan needs to be praised for his willingness to stand up and, 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 and to speak speak sense into Saul and I think he does it wisely I think he does it out of a great love that he has for Saul and for, for, his, for the people of God and for David Did you notice it didn't work? And, and I think in in, in 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 a small detail that, that gives us some some words of, of wisdom. Parents, can I talk to you? We're called to train up our children in the ways of the Lord. We're called to do that. We're called to open up the Scriptures and point them to Jesus, and, and we're called to encourage them in those things. Or, or maybe I speak to all of us. We're called to do that. We're called to warn people around us and, and, and tell them about the love of Christ. But at the end of the day, we need to understand that it's not us and our words and our clever ideas and the way we package things that will actually change our children. It's only the Spirit of God that can transform them. And so as we are teaching them and training them in the ways of the Lord, and as we are showing them this incredible love that we have for them, we ought to be on our knees twice as much. Saying, Lord, would you would you awaken them to your to your truths? Would you would your spirit change them? Would your, would your spirit give them a new heart? Find ways remind yourself to pray for your kids and for those you that, that you love your words are one thing but your prayers oh, are critically important that was just a side note free of charge third point michael loves david but she loves herself now she what she does is costly she hides them. She helps them escape. She warns them. She she fakes the the whole image thing in the bed, like that could have cost her her life. And so she needs to be. We need to uh, see her as as some type of hero, in in light of that. But there is something that's just not quite right. Did you catch that? And 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 I think. It's not that she just simply loved David, but she also loved herself. It's, it's not that she loved David and God, but she loved David and herself. And I, and I say that for a couple of reasons. One, what is this image? Some of your translations are going to say an idol. Literally what she does is she gets the idol from her house. What's an idol doing in her house? We know too much about David that he's not an idol worshiper. This has to be Michael's. It speaks to her loves. It speaks to what she desires. It's interesting when when Saul thinks of, ah, Michael loves David. This is great. What does he say? Let me give her to him that she might be two things. A snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. And I think those are two separate things. He's hoping the Philistines will kill him, but he's also thinking, ah, somehow she will be a snare to him. Exodus 34, Old Testament, the Old Testament law. We read these words versus, um, man, I should write so I can read it, eh? Think if we work back from verse 11. This is what God says, Observe what I commanded you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Hittites, a bunch of all the Ites. Verse 12, Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. He then goes on. He says, And you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. He's talking about other people, but the, the truth is, remains the same. Here's Michael who loves an idol, and, and, and Saul knows because he's already said the reason this guy's successful is because the Lord is with him. He says that in chapter 18. So if he can get David's eyes to move off of God and onto something else, namely his wife and his wife's gods, what a snare. Again, there's some, there's some caution for us. In finding somebody to marry, we would be unwise, to put it nicely, <laughs> to tie herself to somebody that doesn't love the Lord. One of the beauties I think in, in marriage is, is is Lynn points me to Jesus and when she's down I try to point her to Jesus. michael's a snare she loves the idols and remember from first first samuel chapter 15 this idol worship was already in the family samuel accuses saul of this idolatry in first samuel 15 but notice also her speech what does she say what does she say When, when saul confronts her well he said to me let me go why should i kill you well, you can kind of guess. Okay, she's lying. She wants to get, get get be freed. She wants to protect. But in making that statement, now Saul has justification to go after David. He threatened to kill my daughter. It's as if she throws him under the bus. It's as if she's protecting her own skin. When you're in trouble, pay attention to your speech. Did you hear that? When you're in trouble, pay attention to what you say. It it will tell you a lot about what's in here. It will tell you a lot about what you truly love. Finally, verses 18 to 24 the Spirit displays his strength, God's strength, and steadfast love for David, and may I add, in God's people. Why do I say that? Now David fled and escaped. And he came to Samuel at Ramah. It told him all that Saul had done to him. Why does he go to Samuel? Maybe he's going there because... Samuel, you're the guy who got me into this mess. Life was pretty good. Me and the sheep back there, you know. You come along. You anoint me as king. And ever since then, I've had to face Goliath, and I've had to run away from Saul's spear. But I think there's more to it than that. I encourage you to look at Psalm 59. Psalm 59 is a song that David writes We are told in the little prelude that this psalm was written by David when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. So on that night, Saul uh, David writes this song. And what does he write in that song? Watch his speech. It tells us something about who David is. He cries out in verses 1 through 3, "...deliver me from my enemies, O my God! Protect me from those who rise up against me! Deliver me from those who work evil, and save me from the bloodthirsty men! For behold, they lie in wait for my life! Fierce men, stir up strife against me! For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord! For no fault of mine they run and make ready! Awake, come to meet me and see! Do you see what he's doing?" He's in the midst of this trouble. He sees these hooligans, which he calls in his song, like dogs that are growling. He calls them bloodthirsty men. He says in his song, he says, I don't think I've done anything wrong. He's not saying I'm perfect, but he's saying, I don't think I've done anything to deserve this. In the midst of his horror, he rise up to God. Then in verses 8-10 through 10 of Psalm 59 David sings But you, O Lord, laugh at them You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength I will watch for you. For you, O God are my fortress. My God in His steadfast love will meet me God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Now he's writing this as the wolves are gathering around his house. And he says these things and sings these things in faith. And he says, You know what? Actually, God, you laugh at them. You actually think this is comical there's nothing they can do to me why well because you're my strength <laughs> you're my strength and, and 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 my god in his steadfast love will meet me will someday meet me will we will meet why does he say that well i think he says that because of what samuel said in first samuel chapter 16 The Lord said to Samuel, Arise, anoint him, David, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. God had told David, You're going to be king. And David going, looking around, and the enemies are about to try to kill him. And he's going, I don't think I'm going to be king. Doesn't look so good what's he do no he cries out to god would you deliver me and then he starts to sing to god and say, god you must be laughing at them because this is what you said you would do you see steadfast love is not just simply love but it's a love that's based on upon a promise based upon a covenant it's a stubborn love of god that god is going to keep and do what he says he will do and so David's is looking at this and going All of a sudden, his vision is changing, and he runs to—I think he runs to Samuel—to be reminded of what God has said. Well, sure, tell him about Saul, but Samuel, could you tell me more about God's word? Would you speak to me? Would you—would you breathe into me and tell me about this strength and tell me about this God of steadfast love? And in 1 Samuel 59, we continue. In verses 16 and 17, the last two verses of that psalm, this is what David says, but I will sing. He says, David, I'm, God, I'm going to sing. And so he starts writing, and then he's going to sing. I'm going to sing of your strength. I love that. It, it doesn't look like right now you're too strong, but I'm going to sing of your strength, and I'm going to sing aloud, so everybody else hears, of your steadfast love in the morning. I'm going to remind people. And I'm going to sing at the top of my lungs because I believe this, that what you said is going to come true. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress. For you, God, for the God who shows me steadfast love. We know the story. He runs to samuel's place saul hears that he's at samuel's place saul sends some of his hooligans to go and take him and we're told that they begin to prophesy in other words they're controlled by the spirit and do something that is quite contrary to what they came there to do so saul goes I got, it's hard to find good help around here so he sends the next group same thing happens he sends a third group the same thing happens and Saul finally goes you know what I'm going to have to take care of this myself and he goes there and notice what he does completely controlled by the spirit he not only prophesies meaning he's speaking about God and for God he strips off his clothes he's naked which would be incredibly shameful not only in Israel but all the ancient Near East he takes off his royal robes, which is another sign yet again that he is not to be the king. And God did show his steadfast love and God did show his strength. And I think David looks back at this late years later and goes, look, this is what God has done. And it, and it, and it encourages him as he moves forward in life. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But all oh, hang on to those truths. We're, we're coming up on Easter. Good Friday. Good Friday. The steadfast love of the Lord is shown and displayed to us. We're told he gave himself. We're told that greater love has no one than, no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. We're told in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what happened before that in Isaiah chapter 53? This was prophesied. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace and and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He has proven that he loves us. When life sucks, When trouble comes, when heartache hits, remember that he has displayed his steadfast love. That hasn't changed. On Good Friday, we remember it. As we gather around the table, we'll remember that. But a week from today is Easter Sunday. Mark chapter sixteen, six, the angel says, You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, who let me put it this way, who was brutally butchered and murdered. Crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. It's empty, it's gone. Paul later writes, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death. Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is not only a God of steadfast love, He's a God who is strong. He will meet us. He's coming. He's coming. And you need those words breathed into you when certain trouble comes knocking at your door. Let's pray. Father, thank You. I thank You for the way You preserved and protected David. But Father, I thank You the way He modeled for us His trust and His faith in Your strength and in your promised love. And Lord, you have displayed that love to us in remarkable ways. And you have displayed that strength in a remarkable way. And three days later, you rose from the grave. And Father, I pray that as we meander through this life, that we'll be people of faith, And go, he has shown his steadfast love. He has shown his strength. We will wait for when he does it again. Lord Jesus, thank you. In your name we pray.
1: Please stand as we continue to worship and remember.